Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope. Never Ever Give Up Hope is a show about people who have done just that. They never gave up, no matter what hurdles they had to overcome. They never gave up, no matter what. All of my guests have survived some type of incredible circumstances, and as a result, they have the passion to help others. And these are people who may be going through something similar or maybe just something that other people can relate to. Some have overcome extreme poverty and are now successful multimillionaires. So great stories of success in that arena. Some have overcome extreme abuse and were able to turn their lives around and start new and fresh. Some have overcome serious disease or, or mental illness and have been able to now live free from fear and pain. Each and every one of my guests is a winner and a fighter. And whatever cause that they are promoting or whatever circumstances they had to go through, they have something they want to share with each of us as listeners. They are all so special and I appreciate them so much. And they also want to share so that if you're going through any type of trauma, they want to help you become not just survivors, but thrivers and overcomers. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now heard in over 140 countries. And this just shows me that no matter where you are in this globe, we are not immune to stress, to problems, to circumstances that could be devastating. And yet, there's always that thread of hope. And sometimes it's all we have to hold on to. And so as you listen today, take that and hold on to that. You are going to be really excited, thrilled, and elated to hear what my guest today is going to share. With me today, I have Colleen Adams. And I'm going to read what she wrote because I think this really is the best bio she could give herself. In the depths of inner city America, poverty and crime shape the lives of underprivileged youth. Now, the children's role models are drug addicts and criminals. Attending funerals of their friends seems as commonplace as hanging out at the mall and taking out the trash could possibly result in being shot to death. A lot of people can't even begin to relate to that. Electricity and functional plumbing are not a guarantee. 
Then, by stark contrast, Colleen Adams hailed from the racially segregated South in the 1940s and climbed her way to the elite end of the social scale. But after accomplishing hollow success as a fashion and publishing marketing executive, Colleen heeded her life's calling to tackle the hopelessness and despair of disenfranchised inner-city young men. What a contrast. Now, how could one person, I'm sure she must have banged her head against the wall a few times thinking about this, how could one person provide the means for youth from the most crime-ridden and poverty-stricken neighborhoods to actually achieve the American dream? Wow, talk about thinking big. With incredible insight and determination, Colleen carved an innovative path of hope by establishing Empowered Youth USA. But she was ultimately forced to choose between the young men she had come to love and wanted to help and the financial security of her lucrative career. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you so very much. How wonderful to be here. Let's start with your childhood, Colleen. Now, you grew up in the segregated South, and you witnessed many injustices. So how did that affect you as a, as a child? I was actually uh, brought up in, a, in a, a very almost unique family situation because my uh, father was a, um, you know advertising and, and uh, executive, and he was, he was in radio and television, and he was also a musician. Um, he had his own band and, you know, he played at different events and country clubs and things like that. So he always had, um, he, in, in his band, in his group, he always had a, you know, a very uh, wide mixture of folks. And, and they would, uh, when I was a child, they would come over to the, my, my family home to practice and jam a little bit. And um, I remember, you know, sitting underneath my dining room table uh, watching my my dad's my dad's group all practice and and I would you know um, greet them at the door and there was this wonderful gentleman who was this big giant uh, African American man and he would toss me up into the air and, and I would giggle and you know so it was it was a very um, it was a very sanitized environment from the point of view of integration because there was certainly no integration in the school system. Um, but it was so it was an interesting contrast. My 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 father and his very liberal, uh, very welcoming, very egalitarian uh, point of view about life and people um, was was really um, made me question uh, why you know why why were there really no no uh, African American folks you know around except for the few that we had coming to my house for for my father's band so um, so that was kind of an early early question I guess I had and then we but we also had um, a, a wonderful lady uh, by the name of Lily and she had worked with my grandmother uh, as you know as as someone who helped her out at her house and and she uh, and when so when my grandmother passed away she my, my mother was the only child in her family so Lily became our great friend and um, 
and, and you know, and she would help because we, there were five children in my family. So my my mother on a holiday would be pretty overwhelmed. So she would invite Lily over, and Lily would help us prepare the the turkey or the whatever the big dinner was. And my um, and I remember uh, that my mom always Lily would just help us get everything set up and at the dinner table, and then Lily would take her plate and she would go into the kitchen <laughs> to eat. And uh, and my mother would always go and get her and say, no, 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 no. You come, you're part of our family. You come in and sit up with us. So it was, a you know, I just didn't grow up with um, a sense of, of separation uh, of, of humanity. Uh-huh. I, grew up with, I grew up with a much more... Um, I grew up with a much different perspective on that, and and as I grew up and I started to really encounter racism, um, I um, it made me want to leave. Uh, it made me want to leave my 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 state. It made me want to leave that environment. It made me want to go to a place where um, where people believe differently. Um, and it was a driving force, um, really, uh, in just in terms of me leaving leaving and wanting to to work and live in a different a different place um so it um established early on for me um you know just a a a kind of a sense of embracing everyone for for who they are uh, as all as people and uh and I, i just didn't grow up with with the I didn't grow up with this segregation, you know, mentality. Actually. Right. So in any case, so as I, as I, you know, as then I, then I sort of, uh, in my, uh, in my childhood, um, my family was complicated. Um, I think, as I think that most American families are, I think that kind of leave it to leave mentality is a little bit of a myth. Um, but my, my dad was a very interesting, charming, um, charismatic man who was in radio and television and he had a band and he was you know but it was he was also had a had a drinking problem uh which i think came a little bit as part of his package um you know working in night nightclubs and things like that so um and then my mom uh was you know a much more conservative person so there was um there were there were some there were some um there were conflicts in my home and my, with my dad, uh, he was not, uh, very faithful and he also had issues with, uh, with drinking. So there was a, my, it made my family home, um, uh, sometimes a little bit of a war zone actually. And, um, there was a lot of, you know, I guess there was a lot of uh, unhappiness. It was all very, very well, um, very well hidden, I think, by you know, because it's not something that we spoke about outside uh-huh. our home, but uh, but it was very much a, a part of of who we all were, and, and I, um, and so I, you know, it, there was a, a lot of I guess trauma um, in in that environment, in that family. A lot of uh, my, you know, there was alcohol abuse, and later as my siblings uh, grew up, there was drug abuse, um, and you know, just just it was just a. Um, uh, not a, a wonderful um, sort of healthy background uh, in a certain way, but at the same time, it left me uh, with a tremendous um, depth and breadth of compassion. Um, right. I, mean, I, I had, I had actually, um, I, I learned, um, and and, it, and I used it. Some there, there's never, one of the things about life prepares you absolutely for what 
is for what your destiny is. And I, I completely believe that because there's never anything that I have experienced, good or bad, that I haven't used and don't use, you know, when it comes to relating to my students or um, in any way functioning in the world. It, it just, you know, it's, it's all those become uh, this giant bag of resources that you have that you use and can pull up when, when a situation arises. So um, I think that that um, that that background um, prepared me for a non a, non, a whole attitude of non judgment um, of understanding that that you should never you you can't I mean to look at me as a you know as a blonde white lady and you know and, and to you know to have you know the career that that I had as I grew up. Um, in fashion and publishing, it would be impossible to actually look at me and understand what I have had experienced in my life, what I had felt, the hurt, right. the right. you know, it, the damage that, that had been done through all this through the environment that I had as a child. It would be very impossible to know that. So it gave me a lot of insight into you. You can't really, you know, you have you you really must. You're, it's you must really get to know people. You must. You, yes. know, you can't judge people by uh, behavior or. And oftentimes, you know, my my kids oftentimes um, have terrible, terrible, terrible lives, and um, and it's so um, it's so. I, I in the, in, in th- sometimes through those experiences they, they you know they have anger problems or they or they 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 strike out at people and they act out and as I as I sort of um, my approach to that or my belief about that is that um, you can't actually the the more the more anger there is the more pain there is the more anger there is the more hurt they are so. Um, it allows me to embrace them despite what appears to be a very angry young man to embrace them and, and to let them know that I value them as people that I see inside of them and I see um, who they who they are and and I see their good heart um, and I see that they're a good person and I know that that they've gotten lost somewhere along the way but um, but I also understand that you know that they can also be found, and so uh, we work on that. And, and I think that my background, altogether, all taken all in total, um, was a very um, was what prepared me completely to be able to do that and to be able to look into people's hearts and and not to judge them based yeah. on appearances. Yes, I think you really hit the nail on the head that and I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of your own background because that does help people to understand why like you said this this white lady can come in, you know, into that environment and uh who had made it in the fashion industry and had a career and then step up and still understand the dilemma and the problems because of what she had experienced even as a youth. And very often that's the platform for many people who have had a career change. That's where it stems because of what they had been through as a child. And many of those things are buried and hidden. So now let's, let's fast forward a little bit to your, uh, just touch, you know, a little bit about your career as a, as a, um, uh, fashion was it publisher? Did you say? No, I was. Um, um, I was. I worked for Harper's Bazaar 
magazine. Okay. Um, and I worked for a lot of, I worked with several different French designers and I worked for uh, Federated Merchandising Services, which is uh, was the main office of Federated Department Stores uh, before they split up. Um, so I had a, um, well, my career actually started um, uh, quite early because I, um, as a child, I, I um, or as a young person, I, um, one of the, my sister's friend, I had an older sister, and one of her, one of the mothers was in charge of a, of a, a youth center. And so she, I used to go there, and she noticed uh, me often, and, and she was, I was quite withdrawn and uh, very shy. And, uh, well, because one of the things you learn in dysfunctional families is, that you're, you need to be invisible because if mm, someone notices right. you, someone notices mm. you, that could be big trouble. That's right. Um, so best to. So I, I really had sort of cultivated this invisible demeanor, uh, very quiet and very withdrawn. So, uh, but she was very kind, and um, she said, "You know, you you should model." And and I was like, "Who me?" You know. So, <laughs> uh, but in any case, we we I ended up becoming a in part of the Teen Fashion Board, which is a, it, one of the local department stores in my hometown. Um, and then I later. Um, uh, I was in college, and then I ended up going to New York, and I did model for a while there. And then I got involved in in various different um, jobs in the uh, the fashion and publishing industry, and ended up with Harper's Bazaar magazine. Um, and um, it was a it was an extraordinary. Um, life and I, I traveled extensively and um, I was the director of fashion merchandising which means I did um, I reported on all the European fashion shows in Paris and London and Italy and um, and I you know did all this market research that I then um, put into one one report twice a year which was published and and given out to all the major department stores in the United States so um and I so it was a very um and I did a lot of writing and I I, I did a lot of on-camera work and I was it was a it was a really exciting um spectacular job but at the same time it was um I was very much a part of a lifestyle uh, by virtue of my job and and what I was doing I was very much part of a, a lifestyle in which I actually didn't feel that I that I didn't feel that comfortable um, mm. because because there because there was um, I I always um, I felt that you know I always felt a little bit like that uh, I should be doing something more substantive something more meaningful uh, in the world to give back. I, and so I started what they called cause marketing uh, for Harper's Bazaar, which is I did I started to do a lot of events that would raise money for, for the causes that, that were important uh, to me. Uh. And um, so I did a lot of that, and that was kind of answering that um, a little bit of that need I had to uh, to do something more substantive. So, uh, but ultimately, you know, I, I went through a sort of a life crisis. I think it's called divorce, and um, and I and I, I you know I think that's a that's a very kind way to put it. Um, but in any case, I I had sort of decided I um, I kind of sat in my living room. Uh, floor in, in New York City, and I, you know, I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't know, this is kind of not working for me, um, you know, so I decided um, 
No, I actually had a friend by the name of Sam Keen. And Sam Keen, I had worked with Sam on some on some programs for for Harper's Bazaar. Sam was a philosopher, and he'd worked with Joseph Campbell at Harvard, and he was a very learned gentleman uh, for whom I had tremendous respect. So I I called Sam when I was having this little bit of a meltdown, and I called Sam and I said, Sam, I'm, you know, I told him what was happening and that I was feeling quite lost, and he said, Well, take the tombstone test. And I said, of course, I had no clue what that was. And he described, well, you have to figure out what you want your right. What, what, yes. what you what what do you what is what is your ultimate gift? Why what what if you died tomorrow? What right. would you most regret not accomplishing? So I so I I sort of sat and thought that over for a few days, and then I realized that, well, if I if I didn't make some contribution, uh, and if I didn't use all the things that had happened to me in a way that I felt was 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 uh, helpful to someone, I think I would feel like a terrible failure. Um, so at that point, I changed gears and I changed direction and I went back to to um, the university to get my degree in um, in social work. Um, and while I was getting my degree, I had a person, a friend of mine from New York, who um, who asked. Uh, told me that they had uh, heard of a great job with the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund in London, and you know something. Would you be interested? And I was like, Wow, of course, you know. So um, I really got my toothbrush together and my and my stuff, and I, I went actually went over to London, and I was I worked there for two years with the Nelson Mandela Children's Fund on a project. Um, the project kind of Nelson Mandela. Uh, became ill during that period with with bad heart problems, and so uh, they they sort of took him and, and, and sort of uh, made, you know sort of took him out of of you know a lot of a lot of his activities in his public life and uh, to save his life. So uh, so then I ended up coming back to to the United States, and while I was coming back to uh, the United States, I I wanted to work in nonprofits, and uh, but my but my the better part of my resume was in fashion publishing so it became not very uh interesting for folks to hire me uh into a nonprofit environment because i hadn't really had experience in that <laughs> so i ended up going back to work in the fashion industry in miami i got a job with perry ellis and um but always 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 feeling that um i really it was at that juncture in my life when i really had i had emotionally chosen substance over style but i okay uh, but i had but i still hadn't quite figured out how i was going to implement it um so but i you know i was it, so i saw um and you know this then fast forward a little bit and i saw an, an article in the miami herald uh about kids in the detention center and um i think my my affinity or my or, or you know my my uh, direction was I was being pushed in the direction of working with youth because I had grown up feeling extremely alone myself. I feeling very isolated. Um, I had to figure a lot of stuff out by myself, and um, and I really wanted very much to to uh, be to help young people uh, who might be experiencing those same feelings of. Uh, of rejection and isolation and unhappiness. So I thought, well, that, you know, I, I, I wanted to take that 
history and I wanted to make it work in a positive way. So I, um, I, I kept sort of my eyes peeled, you know, for what that opportunity would be. Uh, and I read an article in the Miami Herald about the kids in the detention center and I was several spreads of young minority kids and there were their hands and and ankles were shackled and they were, you know, uh, so I, Uh I, and it was just, it was just so riveting and, you know, it was just like, wow, I, I I think I really want to help. So I was working at Perry Ellis at the time. So I approached the folks at the uh, detention center here in Miami and asked if I might, um, do something to help. I said, I work for, you know, a corporation and I might be able to do something to assist. And they didn't answer me for a couple of months and I kept call, I kept calling and finally I got someone and they said, well, you know, interestingly enough, there was someone, the person who was doing our career day just canceled. And I said, fine, then I'll do it. Um, (laughs) So I took a bunch of unsuspecting uh, employ- unsuspecting folks from Perry Ellis over to the detention center, and um, and when I say unsuspecting, it's because the you know the the gar- barbed wire and the right. the, the right. doors and the, you know it, it's a it's a it's a prison for all uh, intent purposes. It's a prison, so that environment was a little I think shocking to some of the folks who may have not have been to that place before so anyway it was it was a wonderful experience and while i was there i i just fell in love with uh, those kids they were just Uh, so no they were so um it was like a warehouse for for rejected children mostly men mostly young men or yes well that's yes it was very much about eight to one um you know for uh, boys to girls there was a ratio there were there could be maybe 300 uh, boys in, in the detention center and maybe 15 girls. So it was very a preponderance of, of uh, minority young men. Okay. Uh, so that that's actually what made me, you know, choose. Uh, well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So then I, I actually um, decided that uh, I wanted to to help. And so I I organized a group of volunteers, and we went in every Thursday and Friday night into the detention center. And we there was a there was a tremendous amount of programming, and we you know I would bring artists and authors and judges and lawyers and all kinds of folks in to speak to the kids. Um, and I really really thought at the time that I was actually helping, uh, but I. Um, I really thought that I was, but they were, there was a very captive audience, and of course they all uh, they all were very committed to change while they were in that environment. But um, but I one night I was um, taking it was uh, raining really hard in Miami, and I was I had a, a chef coming from Johnson and Wales who was bringing a tremendous amount of food that he'd prepared to have a sort of a demonstration and a tasting. So I. Um, it was raining, of course, sort of sideways, and it was sort of that dusk time. So mm-hmm. I was driving along. I mean, I was walking along, and um, and my with my umbrella inside out and whole thing. So I uh, heard my name from behind, Miss Colleen. Miss Colleen. That's what the kids always call me, which, oh. Miss, which I which I love, by the way. Uh, so it's sweet. So in any case, um, so I, this young man was calling my name, and I turned around, and and uh, he was standing in the sort of the shadow of the of the rain and um he had dreads and dreadlocks and and you know he was standing in a in a t-shirt and he was getting soaking wet and so he said and i said um he said miss colleen do you have a dollar and i said 
uh, I said, no, honey, they make, they make me leave everything in my car. I only have my license and my keys. And, um, I said, what's wrong? He said, well, my, my mom came to pick me up and, uh, you know, and she has no gas and we can't get home. So, you know, he turned around and was, and as he turned around and I watched him walk away, I realized that I really wasn't helping and that, um, I really had to have a way that I could, um, help the young men when they're released so, so that I could provide a safe space for them to, um, to learn, to grow, to, um, to, to have an, uh, a sort of an oasis, a, a protective place where they can yeah. go to and learn and, and figure, figure out. In other words, the same, th- the kids were come, they would go out and be released. And then, then in one week they would be coming back and they, you know, it was just a revolving door. So I made a decision to be, to start a community based program. Um, and so I, I sort of, reorganized my the structure of my program took it out of the detention center put it into the heart of the inner city which is in liberty city one that's one of the neighborhoods here in miami and i put it there and um and i went to the state attorney's office and i i and the public defender's office and i i told them that i wanted to start this program and also but before that i i was traveling with perry ellis and while i was traveling i was going to different cities um, and as I was going to a city, I would contact the local people there in terms of the, the juvenile justice system. And I would, I visited, uh, maybe 10 different detention centers all across the country so that I could get, um, a very good, um, idea of, you know, in other words, I, I, I wanted to help and I didn't want to do any harm. So I wanted to figure out. You know, so I, and also I wanted to find out what best practices were. So I went to I, I found out that the state in the the state in the in the United States that has the lowest reoffending rate is Kansas. Uh, no, it's, it's Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. So I went to St. Louis and I, I met with the people there, and they have a very progressive model. It's called the Missouri model, and it's um, it is totally not punitive. It's totally constructive, and it 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 uh, it's it's so it surrounds young people with with love and learning and and all kinds of of positive things, and not punishment. So oh, okay. um, so I, I loved this philosophy, and so I I got someone to uh, someone from. Uh, St. Louis uh, to send me uh, one of the curriculums they had, and I modeled my program after that. Um, and it's a very um, the program that I have is is um, is a contradiction because the state of Florida and the state of t- Texas are the two uh, states in the United States that are quote unquote tough on crime. Um, so there is a philosophy, uh, you know, it's just sort of lock them up sort of thing uh so i the the philosophy that i that i established with this program was was completely contrary to that it's just you know let's um it's a it's a life it's a two-phase program it's character development and life skills and then then later a, a couple of years after i started the program i started the second phase which is um, empowered youth entrepreneurs which is, is job development job training and development so um so i i really um wanted to 
whatever was happening, there was such a high recidivism. Recidivism is reoffending. There's such a high reoffending rate in the state of Florida that I figured, you know, this is totally not working. So let's take uh, an approach. Um, and I do believe with all my heart that um, that there's no way to that you can take a young person who's lived such a punishing, punishing, terrible life and then punish them more. Um, these are young people who really grow up in poverty, single-parent homes, um, lots of abuse and neglect and, and rejection and a lot, of, a lot of damage, so a lot of trauma. Do you um, have any stories in particular that you could share, like, like one, you know, a, a real success story, or ha- have you come to that place yet where you have, are seeing the results of what you're doing on the other end? Yes, I'm so delighted and proud to tell you that, we, yes, we have a lot of success stories, young men uh, in college and, and working oh. in the military. And, but, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess there are some really uh, – this, this, this is a very um, – it's a very sad state of affairs to be in the United States at the, at this, in this time and day and age and it's very, very sad to imagine that we have a whole population of young people who are so uh, disenfranchised and so pushed to the side yeah. and who really have no access to to the the same opportunities and the same things that actually that most kids in mainstream America uh-huh. have. So, so it's it. But so if you take there's one young man. Okay, uh, uh, he comes to mind. Uh, he is. Uh, He's one of five boys. Uh, two of his brothers, two, he had, he's in the middle, and they're two older, two younger. Uh, his two older brothers have been in and out of prison always, and uh, they've never really known his father. But his uh, two older brothers were in and out of prison, and they actually, his charge that brought him to my program was that he was... Um, that he was sort of being initiated into the family business, quote-unquote, um, and they were doing a home invasion, and they took this young man along. He was 16. So um, he ended up in my program, and uh, he was referred. He was going to be direct filed to the adult system, and then uh, they decided because it was his first charge that they would give him an opportunity and send him to my program to see if we could assist him uh-huh. so um today uh he's been in my in the program six years um he's the only young man in his family who's ever gone to college he graduated from high school he's attending college he's working on our food truck he's he's traveled he's traveled to washington dc to the white he's been to the white house for our for the program he's uh you know he's spoken and been on many leadership uh, trips and he's he's just an extraordinary. But he, you know, what makes him extraordinary was always there. It's yes, just he, yes. he he had no he had no uh, in no environmental influences that were actually developing the extraordinary parts of him. So um, so he he asks his his two younger brothers are now in the program and one of them works on the food truck with him and the other one is twelve and he's he attends our program. So. You know, it's a, it's a, but I guess my experience has, has been that, um, it's, it's an environment where violence and, um, the things that make us all nice, decent uh-huh. people, kind and 
compassionate and uh, those are think those are considered weaknesses on the street. Yes. Um, so you can actually become a target by by exhibiting those kind of kind characteristics. So, mm. um, so the the boys come into our program and they they have a certain demeanor. Um, they don't trust. They have been disappointed. They've been abused. They've been rejected. They've been not loved. Um, for such a long time, and they come into the program, and they're and they're quite uh, skeptical, you know. Um, yes. But you asked me earlier, you know, the, you you asked me earlier about, you know, how can you possibly imagine that you can have any influence over this over this um, situation? And I and I will just tell you um, a story that actually goes back to when I was still with. Um, you know, in my in my fashion job mm-hmm. with with um, with uh, Perry Ellis, and I had gone to L.A. because it was during the time of the Emmys, and I was hosting for the magazine. I was hosting, uh, I mean, hosting for Perry Ellis. I was hosting a lot of a celebr- a couple of celebrities, and a lot of you know uh, uh, significant people in the fashion industry, et cetera, At this, you know, a Chateau Marmont, which is in which is in L.A. And um, so one of my friends from New York had said, oh, you know, I know the, the person who who actually runs the school system in L.A. And he's so, so he's got, you know, he's so smart and everything. He's, you should talk to him about this idea that you have about this program. So I invited him to join this dinner that I was hosting. And so he was there. And, um, and you know, at the end of the evening when I had more more completed my hosting duties and I, I turned to this gentleman and he said in his um, he was very very highly credentialed and I have absolutely nothing but respect for that nothing and um, but he said you know well, well what what degrees do you have that prepare you to do this work <laughs> and so I said well you know I mean I and, and I was well you know I I mean, I had my, you know, my college uh, degree, but I, I, you know, I said, well, sorry, I absolutely uh, don't certainly have your, you know, your history and all the accomplishments that you have, I don't have. I said, the one thing that I have, but I said, I don't know if anyone has ever been able to prove the impact and the, and the value and the, the significance of love. And I said, that's the one thing that I have a ton of. And that's, and I, so I'm going to just take it as far as I can. It'll take me. I'm going to see how far that will take me. Um, and it, to, and to a great extent, it, it really is the one ingredient that I, um, you know, this morning I was in court and I was, you know, there's a new student that's being referred to my program. And, um, you know, he's in, he's in prison right now. And um, so, you know, I was just going there to meet him because, you know, I need to sort of uh, assess whether or not he would be a good candidate for the program. So I went there to meet him. And um, he's, he's been in boot camp and he's been, you know, he's 19, but he's been, you know, in and out of uh, jail quite a bit as a youth. And um, so we sat there and we... You know, we spoke for a really long time, and you know about who he is and what he feels, and how did how did this happen to you? Yeah. How did you end up in this situation? And um, at the end of it, he said, uh, he said, well, 
can we talk again soon? And so I said, sure, of course we can. He said, he said, you know, because I mean, I, I don't, I don't ever have a chance to, to talk to anybody about all this, and it really, it really helps me. So, but in in every in when when the guys come into the program, I don't care from where they are or what they've been through. Uh, they're my kids, and they come into the Empowered Youth Family, and I love them. What are the credentials to get into the program? You have to break the law. Um, That's it. Just just once <laughs> well, or well, like- no, well, no. We it's it's a it's a it's a what they call diversion program, and um, the the goal of a diversion program is to either interrupt a uh, a young man who's who's already in the process of committing crime, or it can be preventative. Meaning, I have I have several uh, two or three 12 year olds and they were sent to me by family counseling services because they're they're getting uh, suspended from school a lot for fighting and they're you know um and so they they so i have sort of there are a couple of different tracks uh but it but the the common theme is um a young man that's um that's having um that it's basically is not not conforming to to the school system or conforming he's dropped out of school he's being truant in school he's fighting in school uh he may have you know so there there are lots of different circumstances that could bring uh, a young man to the program um but the goal of my program is to to interrupt that cycle and to the the two phases of the program there what well, in my in my experience I've I've discovered that there are kind of two what I consider to be fundamental reasons for for juvenile crime uh one is poverty uh and the second one is are single parent homes really because there's you have young men who are completely you know um rudderless you know they have they have no man in the family who's actually a good role model and who's helping them so so i i I tried to design a program that actually addressed those two things so the the first phase of the program uh, uh, is the part that uh, really addresses the family issue so we have a group of mentors and and um and folks who come in from the community to support the boys and we have a lot of of one-on-one attention and we have a lot of we have a youth facilitator and we have a curriculum uh that addresses a lot of the issues that that these young men confront in their lives and um and so that's kind of the phase one and once once you once you connect with one of the once you connect with the kids and you you um uh, they, first of all, the first thing I think you have to do is make sure that they understand their value. That oh, that's they're, great. That they're a good human being. Like this morning, I said to this young man, I said, he's sitting there in this box with all these guys in orange jumpsuits. And I said, you know, I said, you're not a criminal. I don't even know you. But the one thing I know about you is you're not a criminal and you don't belong here. And so it's because, and they don't. They they belong. Uh, they, they have, they have, uh, missed out on the developmental parts of, of a young life, uh, all the, the the coaching and the teaching and the attention and the positive aspects of growing up with people who actually um, 
care. Poverty. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they care, but poverty is so, it strips you of your dignity. Right. And so you have, you know, grandmothers, you know, who are raising uh, their their grandchildren and they are old and they're tired and they're they've been through so much with their own children. Maybe the child, maybe their child is dead or maybe they have a drug problem or maybe, you know, so they end up taking these children in. So you have, um, you know, so it's there's so many there's so many circumstances that are so sad and um so you you have these young young people who just you know they're they're searching they're searching they're searching for where they fit in for their, their they they're searching for what is my value and and most of them don't think they're ever going to live past twenty five because if you're out on mm-hmm. the street it's so violent so that so we we address the we address the human uh, aspect. Uh, of that child, and we we really work very hard to help them understand that they have value, that they they have a purpose, that they have gifts, uh, that they have that God doesn't make any mistakes, and so they're not a mistake. And that you know we're gonna we're gonna work with you to get to walk you down this road where you're gonna find that purpose, and you're gonna find that gift, and then we're gonna be able to send you on your way to a better life. Funding for our for our population of of kids is extremely hard. Uh, most people don't believe that this is this uh, these young men are salvageable. They you know they, right. they there are lots of labels that go on you know delinquent and yeah uh, you know, and you know and they're bad kids and they're you know um, and so. So there's, there's no, there's, I mean, it's a struggle. We, you know, we have mostly we rely upon uh, private donations, um, some small grants, but, you know, for the most part, we, uh, you know, the, the funding in, in the United States for programs like ours is very, very minimal. And then in, in our state, it's even more so because we don't have a, uh, uh, Government, I guess, is the best word. We don't have folks in who who place a real priority on it. Right. So, so basically, we um, we end up, you know, struggling quite a bit. So, uh, we we really rely upon on uh, a small network of of private donors who actually kind of kind of assist us. But it's a, you know, the, the whole thing. The whole thing that's so confounding about it all is that. It's like a throwaway. It's, there's a percentage of our young people that that are that are considered like obsolete. You know that are considered, yes. um, you know, as if they're they're disposable almost. They have no value. No, and they have no value, and there's no reason to invest in them because they have no value, and they're never going to be. They're going to never amount to anything. I can tell you 150 percent that's wrong. And I, I have done this almost twelve years, and I can really? tell you, wow. yeah, I can tell you that the the young men in the program are are decent, great people who really just simply haven't had the guidance and the care that that they deserve to have. So it's tough. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say. So is that why you wrote the book and are using that as a fundraiser? And tell us about uh, your book too. The well, um, certainly uh, the 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 book is is a fundraiser, and and all the proceeds do go back into my program. I wrote the book because the, the one of the essential aspects of this program is is giving 
young men who have no voice, giving them a voice. So one of the one of the the important aspects of this book from from absolutely the very beginning was the fact that it needed to be about them. It needed to tell their stories. It needed to let people understand who they are and how they get to this situation. No one is born a bad person. They're not, you know, they're not born uh-huh. bad. Right. Uh, there are there are things that shape behavior uh and that and they end up in these situations, but they're they're really super decent people so i really wanted to have people to rip the veil away from from the inner city myth um and you know i think people see stories in the paper and in the news all the time about you know about violent you know kids and right but but you know the but what's you know what's underneath that why why yes it's a 15-year-old or a 13-year-old boy. What is that person doing robbing your house or stealing your car or, or, or robbing you at gunpoint? Why? So the, the book is really about why. It's really to, okay. to answer, answer that question. And you said um, that you do have a fundraising program as well. Is that on your website? or? Yes, we, had, um, we can receive donations through PayPal. Around, uh, it's Empowered Youth. Uh, and we can receive donations through PayPal. And um, the, the book, uh, if, if anyone would like to purchase the book, it's on Amazon. And, and that those proceeds go uh, totally back into the program and to support the program. Uh, we also have a, um, a job development program. We have a food truck, and the food truck is an employment uh, it's a way for it's a, the only nonprofit food truck in Miami, and it's uh, it's just simply to train and employ young men. With they have a culinary class, um, they also we also have land, and and we're we're getting ready to start a culinary training center that we're oh, raising. Oh, wonderful! Fun. Yeah, well, that's to employ um, and and to train and employ up to fifty inner city young men, and, and that's where, that's the focus of some fundraising right now to try to get that. Um, get that up and running. Uh, what's, so, the na- what's the name of your book? Um, it's called Hope in the Hood, and um, Hope in the Hood is was that was a now we were sitting in McDonald's one day and we were talking <laughs> and I wanted, we were talking about a name for the book and one of the boys said let's why don't we call it Hope in the Hood Miss C you know so. <laughs> So uh, that became that became my my favorite, and um, so that that was the name of the book. It was, uh, and I really, I really think that th- just there's nothing more to say further than that because ultimately, uh, with you know, and, and that's that's actually something that's so important. And you speak, you spoke in the beginning in your narrative about hope, and uh, there, you know, without hope. There's really nothing, you know. You you have to you have to have hope, and um, and so this program really tries to inspire and motivate and um, and and restore hope to a lot of young men uh, and and their families who have lost their hope. What an amazing, amazing recount not only of your life and just the way you were able to share from your heart it's definitely evident that there is a passion here and I am sure you are not alone in this and I trust the people that are working with you they all carry that same passion and to be able to take the lives of those who basically had no chance and give them not just hope 
but give them insight and encouragement and they can see themselves i'm sure that it all part of the program the different things that you do but they can see themselves as whole people not as as broken as worthless and any number of things and and who knows what they have been told as well we didn't even talk about that side of it you know the emotional side the you know growing up in that environment and being told that they will never accomplish anything that they'll be dead by the time they're 25 if they're lucky and and the only job they're ever going to have is on the underside of the law and on and on and their role models they have you know very few probably that they can even look up to and so you have taken on something that is remarkable and i'm hoping that this that you are not alone in that this can even go into other cities is there any um thought about that like someone else picking up uh you know and starting this someplace else or you basically Go ahead. No, we no, we actually have uh, it, the the my vision when I first started it, and that's why it's called Empowered Youth USA, uh, because I did go to these these very you know into ten cities. Uh, they're all major areas uh, from anywhere from New York to Phoenix to Atlanta to L.A. to Denver to uh, you know I mean just Pittsburgh. All every city has this population. Chicago, huge. Yes, there. yes. So um, every every one has these this um, this open sore um, in, in in communities of, of, of minority communities and in, in all over the country so it would the, the idea is is absolutely to um, to be able to uh, go into different inner city communities all, all across the country and be able to provide uh, this a platform from which these these young men these young people can actually you know regain their footing in life so yes it's a, it's it's my vision and my dream to do that and it's always a question of money uh and always a question of funding so but um it's it's a we've we've created a business model with our culinary training center okay. that's a con- it's a container it's a you know container model so it's very portable uh so we've created a vision for the business model and a vision for the program model that is completely translatable to um, to other cities and also to girls or to any any population of young people so um it's something that i i wish and hope that we can share um, and and with a, other communities. A lot of this is on your website too. Yes, it is. Okay, perfect. Because we'll definitely have all that information. I was just thinking as you were kind of summing up there that you know you probably live in a very emotional state in that you are seeing the heartbreak. And then on the other hand, you go to bed at night and you realize that you did what you could do and you see the joy. I mean, it it just is such a wide range. You know, you, as the new people come in, like you just mentioned this morning, talking to this guy, and already just in a matter of the little time that you spent with him, having him see himself differently must bring you extreme joy from such a, a, a bottomless pit of heartbreak that he probably had when he first entered there. And so you are part of that. And and everybody that works with you and I can't begin to imagine the emotional roller coaster that you must go through on a daily basis. Well, you know, someone once said to me that um, 
that you know gosh this must be so depressing you know and i said my god it couldn't be anything more opposite because there's so much possibility yes yes. Uh, there's so much possibility and i yes it's it is it's heartbreaking because i see so much suffering um and i see a lot of loss but i also see a lot of potential exactly and so, you know, I really focus on that. And, um, you know, it's like you, you just, I want to hold up a mirror to this young man and I want to be his mirror. And, yes, I, and when, yes. and, I, and what he sees in, in this mirror, I want him that reflects back to him. I want it to be, I'm a good person. I can do this. Positive. I can, I, I can make it. You know, so That's it's right. a very, it's very exciting and it's, uh, it's, it's crushing some days. There's probably not many days I don't cry, uh, because, you know, because I feel, um, I love, I love these boys. You feel I mean, they're their my, pain. You feel. I'm there, I'm, they're my family, you know, yes. and I, yes, and I, you know, and I really, you know, and I care about them and they call me, you know, they'll, they'll call me or they'll text me or they'll show up out of the blue at the program and, you know, if one of their graduates and Miss Colleen, I, I'm, I'm just here for a visit, but I came to tell you I'm doing great, you know. Aww. You know, and it's, you know, or text me and, you know, Miss Colleen, I know you don't think I was listening, but I really was listening and I really love you. And, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's so, it's so, um, it's such a privilege. Fulfilling. It's it's a privilege. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to be a part of their lives and to play this, this role in their lives. It's, it's such an honor because it's, you know, um, I just feel like it's you know to I, how can I say to have to have the access uh, to be able to to get into that space where there's so much hurt and there's so much damage to get into that space and to bring love and light to that space that's that's an awesome amazing thing to be able to to um, to have to be able to do and I'm just you know I feel so lucky I mean they've uh, they have um, given me and taught me so much yes, more about love right. and life and survival and you know than 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 I could have ever given them absolutely that was a perfect way to um, summarize it and I thank you for that well Colleen you certainly have given us a lot to think about I hope that uh, people will hear the the passion that you have, that will get a glimpse of what you are doing from this podcast and take a look at your website to be able to make contributions, to buy your book, to help on whatever level they can, even within their own community. So I thank you for opening up our eyes and bringing this huge problem to a place where we don't want to shun them but rather welcome them because I think it's very easy to cross the street and walk on the other side and pretend that they're not there but that's not the message that you are giving at all and it's a message of love and embracing and what we talk about but not necessarily are doing. So we, you are challenging each of us today to do more, to be more, to love more. And I thank you for that. And we definitely will look forward to uh, hearing good reports. We'll put anything that you want to share in the upcoming days and months onto your webpage so that you can keep us abreast of any new developments in any way that we can help. So I thank you, Colleen, for sharing today. Is there anything else? you want to say in closing 
Thank you for the opportunity and the, and, the, and the wonderful conversation, the wonderful, rich conversation. The last thing I would like to say is please don't judge. Before, yes. before, before, you, before you look at someone and you judge them, then just ask yourself, what's going on behind that? And, and really ask those questions. And, and please don't judge before you really give that, that young man a chance. Thank you for that. That was a perfect closing. And thank you again for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.